and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show. I'm Nancy Bacon, and we are so excited for our first live show. Sarah. Yes, we are. And thank you all so much for experimenting with us. We've never done a live show before. Um, I'm Sarah Brooks, and I co-host the Nonprofit Radio Show with Nancy. We launched this project back in April, I want to say, of of 2020. Um, And we specifically thought it might work to try to reach small nonprofits and especially rural nonprofits um, with a frequent, um, simple, casual conversation around things we hope small nonprofit organizations are thinking about because we think small nonprofits are so powerful and that you do have everything you need to make really big differences in the world. And we just wanted to give a boost of confidence and maybe a little sunshine along the way um, to let you know there are people supporting you in this effort. Yeah. Sarah likes to talk about sunshine because she's on the sunny side of Washington (laughs) state. So just, just a little note there. This is a little wound. She likes to rub, but, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, So this is being recorded. It's going to be part of our episodes. Uh, It's going to come out later. So just know that our goal here, we really want to hear your voices, your questions. Um, For those of you who are listening later, I'll do my best to describe those facial expressions and hand gestures of our guests. What what sort of hand gestures are we expecting, Nancy? Oh, I, I, (laughs) this is a family friendly show. Thumbs up from MEPS. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, the nonprofit radio show uh, exists to offer bite-sized practical information uh, to help nonprofits thrive. Um, We also like to think that we do try to bring a little hope and a little um, good news to nonprofits and that bright sunshine so that you know you're not alone and not in the dark about what to do next. We are excited on this first live show to not only see if you can test our knowledge and advice giving, sort of like car talk for nonprofits, although I don't make as many good sounds as the guys on car talk do. But uh, we also thought, well, we better bring in some reinforcements um, to make sure we can answer all the great questions you have. And so we thought of our colleague, uh, Rebecca Zanata, who is now in Walla Walla, Washington, and who leads RJZ Connections based in Walla Walla. And Rebecca is an amazing fundraiser, also a terrific um, leader of organizational change. And um, I always learn from her. I know Nancy always learns from her. And we are super grateful that she's willing to experiment with us today and try to answer your questions. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Nancy. Always game for being a newbie with people and trying things out. And just I'm grateful that you spent or starting your Friday morning with us here today and hope that we can share some good information, some hope and some sunshine in the midst of this snowy winter that we're living in. Exactly. Awesome. So this is how this is going to work. Many of you ask questions in advance and we have printed them out. We have tagged them. We have sorted them. We have studied them. We were both up late last night reading them and um, hoping very much we can give you suggestions that are helpful. We highly encourage conversation. So I have my eye on a chat box over here. And if you are so moved to, to speak, we invite you to do that. Do know that this is being recorded. So if you're not talking, please consider muting yourself so we don't have those barking dogs or screaming children or husbands who are grinding their grain in a grain grinder behind me. Or children playing violin. 
children playing. Oh, yes, yes. So we welcome questions. So just know that this is a dynamic um, conversation. I love that many of you have your cameras on. I love seeing you. This is the best part of, of being with you. We've divided our time into three chapters. So fundraising was by far the most questions that we got were about fundraising. So we're going to tackle that right off the bat. The second biggest number of questions uh, were around people, every kind of people, board people, staff people, volunteer people. And then our third category is mixed bag, which hopefully you don't think our guidance is a mixed bag. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's just a, a collection of our topics. So that's our overview. But Sarah, give us some some more about um, what we'll be talking about. Sure. So before we launch in, you all can be thinking about your great, great questions. Um, Nancy and I have kind of formulated a series of principles that we think underlie all the advice we give in the nonprofit radio show. It seems like each episode always boils down to one of these principles. Um, And I believe Nancy sent out a bingo card for those of you who like to play along and stay engaged in this way. And the the five principles that we uh, tend to follow are live your values, know your purpose. It's all about people. Have a strategy, run good programs, and always make it doable. Now, if any of those are intriguing to you, you'll have to keep listening to the nonprofit radio show to watch us unpack them as we go. Um, and hopefully today, at several points along the way, one of us will make reference to something like purpose or people or strategy or run good programs or make it doable or live your values. And when you hear those things, you can mark your bingo card um, and uh, see see if we maybe have missed a great principle too that you'll help us discover and we'll add to our list as we go. But- awesome. So the time has come for us to dive in to our first topic. Excellent. And I'm going to, let's talk fundraising. So if you have a question, by all means, type it into chat or feel free to just unmute yourself and let it rip. We'll uh, we'll take them. I'm going to start us off with one that came in early. So we had a small chance to think about it. And I'm going to ask Rebecca the question and then we're going to dig in together, all of us, on what we think the answer might be. But we had a nonprofit leader from North Central Washington write in and ask, how do we engage with community and donors without turning them off? Rebecca? Good question. So, you know, when we th- when I thought about this one, my biggest thing is how do we know we're turning them off? I think one of the most important things is we sometimes project our uncertainty or angst on about fundraising on our donors. And if we're communicating too much, are we asking too much? And what I would just say is I think that we have, you know, people chose you for a reason. They're giving to you for a reason. They're engaging with you for a reason. And that means they want to talk to you. So they want to hear from you. They want to hear from you regularly. And until they tell you, stop, go away. I don't want to talk to you again, or you're bugging me. I think we can assume positive intent and that we are doing great things in the world and they want to do it with us. Sarah, what would you say? Well, I had two thoughts. The first is if if you have some indication that there's actually a problem, like someone has been turned off, then I think you want to diagnose where that came from. And it seems to me it it either was you're talking to the wrong person, like you're, you're talking to a group of people who actually don't share your organizational values or don't believe in your mission, or it's just not their high priorities. So maybe you need to be talking to a different group of people. 
it could be your message isn't resonating. Maybe you just don't have the story right about why your mission matters. And so it's not landing and sticking on people. Or three, your strategy is not the right one for them. Maybe you're peppering them with emails when they're really the kind of person who likes a phone call. Or you're sending them snail mail and they only check that post office box every six weeks. Um, you know, you, you have to kind of try to figure out, okay, where, where did we miss the mark? I think we assume we missed the mark because it must be that people don't care about our mission. I don't always think that's it. I think Rebecca's right. Most of the time, if, if somehow you've gotten a hold of someone's name, they're interested in you. They, there's something about this. So you just have to be asking yourself, am I hitting them with the right message in the right ways? And then, okay, have I hit the right person? Other piece of this question that I want to dig in a little bit is that I love that the person asking the question used the verb engage. How do we engage yeah. with community and donors rather than how do I talk to community yeah. and donors or convince community and donors? And if I had any fundraising um, advice at all, this, the secret sauce lies in getting people engaged. So yeah. Nancy and Rebecca, what are your thoughts on how you do that as opposed to just telling people how great your mission is. Well, I know that we just recorded a, an episode on volunteers and that you spoke so eloquently about that engagement piece is also around volunteers and getting people. I mean, if I love a mission and I give my time to a mission, I probably will give my money to a mission if you've engaged me in that way, for sure. I think engagement is personal, right? And I think that's part of that relationship. I and mean, fundraising is a relationship business. And we're getting to know people's values, beliefs, and experiences. And if we can get to know their values, beliefs, and experiences, then we can connect them and through a channel that is meaningful for them. And so what does that look like? It can be different things. But I think oftentimes just engaging actually in a conversation with the donor and saying, what's meaningful to you? How would you like to be part of what we're doing? Um, and you can do that via survey. You can do that on a one-on-one -on -one conversation. You can do that on social media. So you can scale that. But I think sometimes it's best just to ask people how they want to be engaged and then figure out ways to engage them. I love that, Rebecca. You know, I heard of an organization here um, in the Met Hub Valley where they they use their board members to call and thank um, new donors. So someone oh, is yep. a name they've never heard before. Yep. They call them. And, um, and aside from just thanking them, which I know happens all the time, one of their top two questions is, is, you know, can you tell me more about why you gave to us, which is so interesting, right? You know, it's because I, I had an experience, you know, in the theater as a kid. And so I want to support local theater or you know, whatever you, you learn something yeah. about them. And then two, how do you want to stay in touch with us? Yeah, and I just love, love the way that's worded. How do you want to stay in touch with us? You know, I love that. some people will say, I don't need anything from you. Don't send me anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and then, okay, we need to honor honor that and not overwhelm them with too much information. And other people will say, oh, I'm an email, you know, I'm on Facebook all the time, do it, you know, I'll catch you there or whatever. And then you just have to create a system internally to, to track that. But yeah. it's a great way to engage your board too in the process of getting to know who your donors are. So I want to kind of add to this because we have a question in the chat box and we have just a question we received in advance. So so let me first do the one we got in advance because it kind of pushes on this. And then, Catherine, I'm going to get to your question. The one we got in advance is you're assuming that when you talk about how do we engage community and donors, that you know who these people are. 
What if you, what if you're a new organization or you're trying to, who are my people? How do you, how do you grow your community of donors? Well, I think growing the community of donors is kind of using them, you know, well, first of all, let me say this. I think your current community of donors helps you grow your potential community of donors. I think that in, in ways in which you can um, invite people to learn more about you, whether it be through your newsletter, through virtual events now, through in-person events, gosh, hoping sometime and soon, but this idea of a balance of opportunity to bring new people in. But I think that meeting people where they're at and determining your different communication channels and having different ways in which you communicate with people in order to bring them into the organization is a great way to bring new people in. And I think board members, I mean, you know, building off what Sarah said, one thing, Nancy, I want to add to that is if a new donor has chosen your organization right now, it's most important to figure out why they chose you and to say thank you. And so when I think about deploying board members for their greatest skill right now would be to give them new donors at any level just to say thank you and to do what Sarah's saying that organization's doing in the meth house, asking why and how can we stay connected to you? That then keeps donors connected to you and it, it will increase as well. You know, one of the one of the things awesome. I talk about all the time with small nonprofits is that I, I think we have these superpowers. So sometimes I think small nonprofits think we're, um, you know, we, we don't have a big budget. We don't have a huge staff. How can we possibly pull everything off? And so we have to look at where we have a comparative advantage over bigger organizations. And here, this is this is one we have. Yes. One of our biggest superpowers is we can actually know our donors. Yep. <laughs> you know, if, if you work for... Uh, you know, the American Heart Association or something that probably has, you know, a million people in their database, like they can't possibly know them all, right? There are advantages to that. But our advantages, we can actually know, I can know that Nancy, you know, cares about children's theater, but Rebecca is all about, you know, deep, dark, serious plays that get people thinking. Um, and I might tailor then the conversations I have with them about um, what we're up to if we're a community theater uh, based on those interests. And so we have to leverage that. And that's why I think I totally agree with Rebecca. You spend your board energy in the places it's going to matter the most. And getting to know your donors is an easy way for them to be involved and a real high value point for them. Awesome. So, so we now have a whole lot of people in our community. We got lots of donors. Catherine has a question for you that she's going to ask live. Awesome. So feel free to unmute yourself, Catherine. You got these donors. Now Catherine's question. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so I work for the downtown Walla Walla foundation um, and we're focused on primarily economic development here in downtown. Of course, this is a really challenging year for that. And I had been working on a fundraising ask for my businesses for the end of last year. And it was right at that moment that they went into the newest round of Washington shutdowns. So then I, you know, was like, okay, I'll wait till they reopen. And now it's, I'll wait till the snow is melted and it's sunny again. And there's just so much that's kind of a headwind against them right now that I can't, how do I find the right moment to make the most impactful ask? I think I I was, you know, I'm, I'm a 25 year plus career nonprofit professional. I have worked across sectors in different positions I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of learning this year. And what I keep hearing, Catherine, is that if you wait for the right time, we're just going to wait for the right time. And we're just going to keep pushing it down the road. And so part of what I would encourage is to just be transparent in our ask, especially in your situation, 
thinking about what the businesses have been through and acknowledging things are difficult. I understand that. We're here as a community. I would also like to invite you to give. I would like to also invite you to participate in. And and and, and they, can, they can always say no, right? Donors can always say no. But I think we know that the number one reason people don't give is because they're not asked. And so if we think about asking in an, in a, an honest sort of transparent way, the other thing you might do is pick a couple of your small businesses who you're close with and go one off and have a conversation with them and sit down and just say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm having some trouble with this and I'm not sure exactly when to ask. Can you give me some advice and thoughts and just weigh in again, in relationship, in conversation with a couple of people outside of a mass ask and see what kind of advice you get and then put something really thoughtful together, which I know that you will, and people will people will give. And they might not give right now, but they will give now and ongoing is what I would say. You know, Rebecca, I wrote down the, the first, I wrote down two things to both of which just reinforce what you said. I wrote down, be honest yeah. and think long-term. Um, so we had to write our annual appeal letter just because that's when the timing of things work in our cycle. I, I work for a land conservation organization. Um, we wrote our annual appeal letter this um, kind of late summer, early fall. It was a terrible time. There were wildfires. There was, there was uh, you know, obviously the pandemic, um, really deep social justice, racial reckoning conversations going on. Conservation did not seem like a high topic of priority. And we had a big wrestle with what do we do with this, right? And the letter we ended up writing, like the opening line was something like, I have started this letter nine times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to write this letter right now, but I know that you care about the land and water and then on and on. We were just super honest about like, this is awkward. And the second way we were honest, which also I think leads into think long-term was in our reply option. We actually put in an option for the first time. That's like, I can't give this year, but I'm on your team. Oh, that's like, good. And so there was a clear box for anyone to check to say, I still belong to this. I feel a part of you. Um, and that's about thinking long-term. And when I think about the business support we get, I, all I want is to know that they see themselves as a part of my movement, this movement, the, or our organization's movement. They see themselves as a part of that. And that's the feeling I want them to have. Um, and so including that providing an outlet for that and as a way to respond instead of leaving them feeling like, oh, I can't give. And then it just sits on your desk and it kind of looks at you and you feel kind of bad about it. Yeah. Um, it's like, no, I, I can send this back and I can say, I think what you're doing is awesome and I can't wait to support it again. I just can't do it right now. That's fantastic. I love that. I, like I that love too. that. You know, Donald's asking a question that I'm going to paraphrase because we don't have specific ideas for specific. Um, he's he's looking at scholarships and how to reach agribusiness in central Washington, which is such an important cause. But I know that a part of the answer is something that I learned from Rebecca. So I'm going to tee this up around <clears throat> this, you know, how do I ask for money? How do I contact uh, organizations? And And you speak so clearly about the three parts of fundraising. Yes. cultivation, solicitation, and stewardship. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people get caught up on that solicitation piece of how do I ask either corporations or individuals for money? And I'm going to put words in your mouth, but you're going to say something around focus on that cultivation piece in order to make them fall in love with your mission, 
right? Then you're ready for solicitation, but don't take solicitation too early. Did I just put words in your mouth, Rebecca? <laughs> but you can do that. We've spent enough. We've spent enough time in car rides. All those together. road trips in Eastern All Washington. Those road trips in uh, Southern and Eastern Washington together. Um, it's true. You know, one of the first things I and I use this a lot. I use this when I work with boards. I use this a lot. Is thinking through that that cycle of cultivation, solicitation, and stewardship, and that sixty percent of our time with donors should be spent in cultivation. About 10% of our time is with solicitation and the remaining 30% or so is stewardship. And so when I said earlier, we're getting to know donors' values, beliefs, and experiences, that's what cultivation is. That's when we're figuring out how they want to engage with us, what they care about with us. And that's, you know, it, there's another kind of a slide that's popping in my head. I went to the, the Indiana University School of Philanthropy a long time ago. And I, and I reference a lot of these things regularly is that, you know, you, you start with, with suspects, right? Everybody out there is a suspect. Look out your window right now. Everybody's a suspect to give to your organization. Then you move to a prospect and then you kind of move up the ladder. And so what I would say, and especially for Donald, is anybody who cares about the work that you do, just introduce them to your organization, right? So like, as Nancy said, introduce them to your organization, share what you do, look at your board members, look at past board members, look at other donors that have connections in that sector and ask them to open the door to go and cultivate, to share with them about your mission and then worry about the ask later. Because as Sarah said, another slide that kind of pops into my mind is it's gotta be the right person, the right time, the right ask, the right program. And what that tells me, there's a lot that can go wrong in fundraising. But generally, it's not they don't care about you, and it's not they, they don't want to support you. It's just that it wasn't one of those things, right time, right program, right person. And so if we spend our time in cultivation and we spend our time in stewardship, sharing the impact of our gifts, it makes that 10% solicitation really easy. Sarah, anything to add to that? Oh, that's great. Rebecca always has great advice on that. I think the only thing I would add is um, I also often find it really helpful, and this, this has to be genuine. So I, I, I hesitate to say this on a radio show without this disclaimer. It has to be genuine. But find a way to ask people for help and advice in other ways. So uh, I think we often, as people responsible for raising money, think we have to immediately just you know, I have to, I have to frame everything. The cultivation all has to be in the frame of getting them to donate. But often the best conversations I have with people are around, you know, we're thinking about trying to start a new program for, you know, I, I don't know, botany. Um, and I, I don't know how to do it. And I don't know, could I get a group of four or five people together who care about this topic and want to explore it with me? And then building an authentic relationship with them. So when I think about your particular topic, you know, yes, you're trying to raise money for scholarships, but maybe there are um, ways you need advice, not around fundraising, around how to reach more students. Um, you know, how, how could we get the word out to more students? Could you go ask a few people and, and genuinely want to hear their answers? That fails completely when it's just a setup to have a meeting. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, I think maybe the other tenet of the uh, principle we need to add, Nancy, is like, it has to be real. <laughs> um, anything we do in small nonprofit fundraising, because we know all of our donors, has to come from a, a place of genuine intent. But I bet your organization has some questions that it needs answered or could have a sounding board help them with. And that can be a wonderful way to suddenly get introduced to a new group of people. 
Isn't the, the suggestion, ask for money and you'll get advice, ask for advice and you'll get money. <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, yep. And Aaron is pointing out in the chat box here, um, something that I have studied the registration list for today. And I just want to say that there is so much matchmaking we could do. So Donald and Aaron can connect. We have like three different arts organizations between Amber and Tyatin and Joyce in um, Newport and Pamela also in Newport, like we could do some serious matchmaking. So feel free to, you all introduce yourself in the chat box and feel free. I'd be happy to facilitate any matchmaking that would be helpful there. But, but we're, you know, we've got about four minutes left to talk about fundraising. So I am going to ask our final question here that I know is on many people's minds. And that is, how do we plan for this year when we have no clue what's going to happen? Oh boy. Maybe you tell us. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. I mean, gosh, my, my greatest advice for organizations and clients that I'm working with is just take it bite size, Mm -hmm. take it small, like literally think about that development plan that you wrote, just like, what can you accomplish today? And think about what's in the next month, what's in the next quarter, what's in the next six months. And kind of think about progression versus trying to accomplish everything at once. Because I definitely think the other thing is we have to be, I mean, how many times have we used this word? Pivot, nimble, flexible. I mean, that should be our, that should be on our bingo card too. It should be like the center <laughs> one is pivot. But when you think about it, we have, and, and we've learned a lot, right? And, and so I think there is opportunity to continue to have plan A, plan B, plan C, I know that's exhausting, but I also think it's the only way we will sort of get through this in a way where we feel like we're accomplishing something is to think about things small by month, by quarter, and then also just have different scenarios because different scenarios are going to be our friend right now um, and, and know that that's okay right now, that there's generally one way maybe, but you know what? We're learning a lot about flexibility and different ways to do things. And I think that's been great for our sector and our organizations. And I hope we continue some of this sort of new unexpected learning that we've had in the last year. Yeah. So I wrote down belts and suspenders um, when I, when I first, well, when I first started at my organization here, we had a board member who always wore a belt and suspenders. And he pointed out that that means you are just always prepared, right? You, nothing can go wrong. You've got belts and suspenders on your, your, you know, your set. And I, I think, I think that follows right along with what Rebecca was saying. What I'm doing is I'm picturing my organization in terms of a fundraising goal, What's the bare minimum for the next year? Like, yeah. what do we what do we have to hit in order to keep our core um, solid um, and not, you know, be in a crisis? And then, okay, if it's going to be a slightly better than terrible year, <laughs> um, what would we add on? And what does that mean our capacity could do then? You know, what are the programs or initiatives or or um, more scholarships we could give away if that's your organization? You know, what what are the things we could do with that increment? And then what if it was a, what if, what if we actually had a little bit of a rebound or, you know, saw something really good happen, then what would we do? And that allows me to have multiple stories to talk to donors about too. Like, look, we're being prudent and fiscally responsible and we understand um, what our core is. And if we sense that our movement is attractive to people and they want us to do more, then here's 
here's the ways we can do more as we go. So I'm thinking of the belts as like the core stuff. And then you add the suspenders on just to make sure um, you're where you want to be. Fantastic. Okay. Can we do a quick speed round, Nancy? Cause I want to, yeah. I want to hear Rebecca's and yours. All right. I got just a couple of questions. You get one sentence or less okay. to answer. Uh, best fundraising communication you've seen in the pandemic. Some of the videos that I got, they were videos and they were short and they were sweet and they were authentic. So they use digital video communication. And not always, not always fancily produced, right? Oh, no. Literally with an iPhone, which yes. is great. Yes. Yep. Sometimes shaky. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Speed round. Okay. Uh, do you still believe in snail mail? And if so, when? 100%. 100%. End of year campaigns. Um, and if your audience tends to skew more boomer and matures and the older, yes, for sure. They're still writing checks or even putting a credit card on a number, on an envelope. For those listening, we've got some thumbs up here. Of course, this is going to be a podcast. So thumbs up, (laughs) carry on. Uh, Most important fundraising question your board should be grappling with at their next meeting. How do we keep our current donors and how do we utilize our current donors to help us find additional donors? Excellent. What superpower, last question, what superpower would you give small nonprofits to help with their fundraising? The ability to see around the next corner. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) That is awesome. You know, the superpower I would give, I believe, is kind of like Wizard of Oz. You have it inside of you. And that is that is courage, right? That you you have it. We just need um, that curtain pulled back to really feel it. I'd love to know, like, just feel free to use the chat box, folks. We have a question here around what are your favorite resources for staying current in philanthropy? Um, another quick speed round, Sarah and Rebecca, Sarah, you go first. What, how do you stay current? I definitely read the Chronicle of Philanthropy, um, which sounds funny as a rural nonprofit organization, because hardly ever does anything in that, uh, uh, publication speak to small rural nonprofits. Um, but it's important to see the bigger trends that are going and use your translation skills. That's a brilliant superpower that I think all small nonprofits have. Um, we're able to translate those bigger trends. So it's important to know what the, what the big, big philanthropy organizations are doing out there and then figure out how it applies to your community. So I look at that and I also pay attention to some um, really great blogs. And Nancy, will maybe best thing to do is share um, some of those um, on our nonprofit radio show website. Yep, we absolutely can do that. And I will say you do a lot of translation of the big ideas to small rural. So if you all are not subscribed to the radio show, we're going to, you know, be there, be square kind of deal. Rebecca, <laughs> what would you add to Sarah's thoughts? You know, I was thinking about that because I saw that come in from Shannon. I I'm an app active LinkedIn user and I look at hashtags or search nonprofit in LinkedIn, but I find that I follow people who are thought leaders or people who um have good information. And I also the Chronicle, the nonprofit quarterly, Nancy, you suggested that. Um, those are kind of my go-tos. And then I have very targeted area-specific board source for boards, Blue Avocado for boards, Washington Nonprofits, 501 Commons. I mean, when you think about your local resources, they generally are hubs that convene information. And then I usually just end up going down rabbit holes from there. 
But you know, the best thing, honestly, is, and I've never had, I've never said no to someone and I've never had anyone say no to me. You just pick someone who you think you see out there is doing great work. So in my world, I know the San Juan Preservation Trust does amazing, amazing communications around land conservation. And I just write to them and say, can we have a conversation? I want to know why you're doing it that way. What are you thinking about? You know, the good news about being a nonprofit professional is that you are not alone. There are people doing your mission, I bet, in another community somewhere. Um, And so just be bold and go find it. And when you, when you see something you like, write to the person who did it and say, tell me what your thinking was. How'd your board get behind this? What'd you do? And yep. I think we're all pretty willing to share. I also want to give a shout out to our network colleagues. So Matt Fairbank in Yakima is here with us. And, you know, there are nonprofit networks that meet and gather our colleague, Gabriel Cruden up in Northeast Washington. We have friends from, uh, from Newport here, and I'm sure they're connected to Gabriel our colleague uh, Garrett Kalt in the Idaho Nonprofit Center is the reason why we have folks from Idaho on this call. So, so shout out to our network colleagues. They're really the glue that are bringing nonprofit folks together. And I, I guess the last resource before we move on, I know that was a speed round and I'm slowing us down in the speed round, but I really also want to encourage people to look at community-centric fundraising, um, which is a, a, and I'm sure we can make sure that gets somewhere um, for you all to find it. But if you just Google that, um, a really interesting um, movement rooted in making sure that fundraising is anti-racist and um, and inclusive of all. They put out some really wonderful materials on their website. Um, so I encourage, encourage that as well. Awesome. I'm going to invite everyone to take a deep breath because you've all breathed in some wonderful um, guidance and thought and, and um, information related to fundraising. And yet fundraising isn't the only thing that we do as nonprofit leaders, right? Um, we certainly do a lot of working with people. People are at the center of a lot of what we do. We work with people. We work with people a lot. And so let's shift to people. And by people, we're talking about board, staff, volunteers, and all of that. Um, we've gotten some great questions in advance. And please uh, send in, chat away your questions. We'd love to hear those as well. But I'm going to kick us off. We've got two that are here in the hopper. Let me take this first one first, because I just finished teaching a board class. And I know that this is on, on the mind of a lot of people. And that is how do you get board members to engage, particularly in this time of COVID and we're not seeing each other. Many of us have older board members who may not be, you know, so comfortable on Zoom and, and whatnot. How do you get board members to engage? I have some thoughts, but I'm going to throw it out to you guys first. Rebecca. So that's a great question, Nancy. And I think, you know, I would encourage you to think about it a couple different ways. One, think about your board as a whole, right? Engaging your board as a whole and think about engaging your board as individuals because all of our board are individuals and they're generally donors and they're generally volunteers and people that really care about our organizations. And so I think first off is kind of one-on-one conversations with your board. How are you doing? Gosh, what's going on in your life? Um, just for us to be able to understand where they're at right now in terms of what their time, talent, treasure, commitment can look like right now, and then figuring out ways in which we can meet them where they're at, right? Because no one wants to fe- no one wants to feel crappy right now. No one wants to not feel like they're showing up to, to the organization that they care about. So, you know, some regular check-ins, maybe quarterly with board members, 30 minutes, 
just to see how they're doing, get a pulse check, and then figure out ways in which the board can engage individually so they can feel good about that. And then there's also the board showing up as a whole and engaging that way. I love Sarah's idea of the calling new donors. And then I also think right now, um, giving them, you know, celebrating small wins, right? Just taking time to celebrate small wins and making some social time, right? Just making some social time with people just to get to know people right now and spend time. Sarah, what would you add to that? Well, those were totally great. I mean, my the thing I wrote down as soon as you asked the question was ask them. Um, yeah. We did a little survey that we just sent out to our staff that was just sort of, you know, because we're all working remotely. And so it's just like, how are you doing? You know, what is, what's your biggest challenge right now? Are you feeling engaged? What's got you most excited? It was just four or five questions. And hearing Rebecca talk, I just realized, oh, we should totally send that to our board as well. Because um, I, I, I totally agree all the time. No one joined your board, 90, 98% of the people joined your board because they love and care for your mission. It's very yeah. rare someone joins a board for some other reason. <laughs> I mean, maybe the snacks are really good, but other than that, <laughs> most of the time people join your board because they love and value your mission, which means they want to be helpful, which means if they're not engaged in the way you want them to be engaged, they feel bad. And they're trying to figure out how to not feel bad. Um, and so if you can just ask them, what's, what's, how would you like to be engaged? Do you need a little break at the moment? Is it because you've, you know, got kids at home, homeschooling, and you're trying to work and you're, you know, life is chaotic or no, you got extra bandwidth right now. You can help us more. Um, it's just going to vary so much. Um, so I think that's really important. And, and then I think always it's really valuable um, to make sure when you're asking the board to engage as a whole on Rebecca's point about in a board meeting, you want them to be you know, grappling with a question. I have become a huge fan of the third grade worksheet. <laughs> so especially on Zoom, when we're not meeting in person and you can't really um, get that same dialogue going. Um, I actually, we actually started sending out ahead of time. If, if it's a topic we're going to really grapple with, we send them ahead of time a worksheet that just has two or three questions. What's your gut instinct on this? You know, what's your first reaction to this? question. What do you wish you could know more about before you make this decision? Um, you know, what do you see as the positives or negatives of, of this? Um, and then during the Zoom meeting, you actually have them jot down their answers. Um, because there are people like me who are extroverts who speak too fast and wish later we had thought about what we were going to say first. And there are people who are introverts who will need to process their thoughts in writing before they feel comfortable, especially in an unfamiliar setting like Zoom, to say them. And so actually setting aside time with clear questions of this is what I want you to reflect on as a board member, um, rather than just assuming a board member knows what we mean when we say, hey, reflect on this and um, give them that worksheet and then work through it um, as a, as a um, board together. Awesome. Um, Amber has a really important question and I've asked her to unmute and ask her question. Go ahead, Amber. Thanks, Nancy. Um, Titan Arts and Humanities serves a majority BIPOC community. About 70% of the people we serve are of, of, of the Latinx community. Um, and my board does not reflect that. Um, I've got maybe two people on my board who even speak Spanish. Um, so how can I get them to prioritize better representation? I think most of them would describe themselves as 
incredibly inclusive people, if not describe themselves as anti-racist, but they're super comfortable with the status quo. And every time I ask them to suggest other board members who better reflect our community, they keep coming back with old white people. It, that is a, a challenge we see a lot. Um, so I have some thoughts on that, and I'm sure my colleagues do as well. And I think, you know, so several thoughts that come into play. I think first, there's a no care act cycle that, um, that you know, truly knowing, um, knowing the diversity of the community, knowing what racism and anti-racism looks like and feels like, and having, knowing real experiences from real conversations with people, helping them to, to move forward in that no care act. Cause sometimes they know things superficially, but not deeply within their bones. That's one thought. Another thought is really having a, a board's recruitment process that is so thorough that it is reaching deep into communities of the people you're serving. So, and, and, um, you, you may already be doing this, but but looking really at that purpose mapping exercise of of what is our deep purpose and what are who are all the people who connect to that purpose and then recruiting those people to join the board and getting your board to have buy-in on that. I do know that, and maybe Matt can drop this into the chat box, but Matt and I have been working on the Central Washington Conference workshops and this is a question that has come up from several white executive directors in the greater Yakima area, such that we've asked Beth McCaw, who's the president or former president now of the Washington Women's Foundation, to lead a session where she is going to make the case for diversity on the board. So how do we talk to white board members about having diversity on the board? So you're a loyal conference attendee, and I invite anyone who's interested in this topic to, to join us at the conference for that, as well as a whole bunch of other sessions, including cross-cultural communication. How do you speak at cross-culture? Because, of course, you don't want those diverse board members, but not change your culture, right? You want to recruit folks and then have them feel comfortable once they are there. Those are some thoughts, but Sarah, Rebecca, what are your thoughts? You know, your comment about Beth, and I'm so glad to hear she's going to lead that workshop, because um, that's one of the things that I was thinking about, Amber, is kind of the value of representing your community and what that means in a conversation with board so that they they really, truly understand why, the why behind it in terms of why are we doing this and how will this improve our organization and improve the impact and also looking around potentially at, you know, people who are close to the organization, who are members of the community that you serve, and going in and again, engaging in conversation around service. And if there's interest in board or in, and what, it, what does it look like for them to be interested in serving on the board? Because Nancy, the other thing you mentioned was, you know, inviting and in, in, the BIPOC community to serve on your board and then your your culture and your community, your board not being in a position to support or engage and and make it comfortable. And so I think that there is a, a conversation with um, people in your community who have relation, again, I go back to relationships and, and maybe it's volunteers that then become board members. Um, but I think the idea of talking about value and why, Nancy, is, is really important. I agree with that. And I guess the only other thing I would add is um, 
you know, I think this is a great moment to have a, a really honest conversation about living your values. Um, as an organization, you are serving a community in Titan or and beyond, I know. Um, and um, and you you value that. And um, this is a moment where you have to live your values. Um, and that means your organization needs to reflect the community you're serving so that you know you're actually serving what they need and want. Um, and I think having a, a, a almost taking it back to your mission and your organizational values, um, which you know everyone shares, and then asking, okay, what does it look like if we live those values as an organization? Um, you know, what does it look? What would we? What would we look like? What would our services look like? Um, what would um, our balance sheet look like? Um, what what do all, how does it impact all the all the facets of our organization to have it um, actually um, what we say we're out there to do being um, brought through in the way we do our work? And I think that's a conversation lots of nonprofits don't have. We spend a lot of time thinking about what we're going to do externally, and we don't always stop and reflect and say, "Are we?" Are we choosing to do our day-to-day work in ways that reflect those values? Um, And that can be a really important board conversation to have. So, you know, a really important conversation, and you can almost fill out your bingo card having that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So I want to shift gears a little bit, and that is we got another question that that I'm going to direct to Rebecca. And that is something that I know um, we're hearing a lot about those boomers are retiring, There's, you know, I think maybe COVID shifted or postponed a little bit the retirement of all these executive directors that we were um, portending earlier, but, um, but we have this generational thing going on and Mm -hmm. how do we, you know, a lot of rural nonprofits are led by older people, not, not every, not everyone, but many, how do we reach that younger generation? Oh gosh, I'm so I when I saw this question I got really excited cuz generational giving is something I have studied and followed for years. Um in fact, I'll put a the link to some of the statistics I'm going to share in the chat. Um Blackbaud does a next generation of American giving report and there are so many different ways and to to kind of address this Nancy, but I'll I'll pick it from a couple different ways. One is the first time we have five generations, generation Z Millennials, X, boomers, and matures, all in the workplace together, all giving. And so each of them have their own, um, as you would read in this report, have their own kind of interests and in how they communicate and how they um, how they are involved in nonprofit organizations. And you can go so deep in the layers. But what I'll tell you is think about your board composition, right? Are different generations represented on your board? Think about your community committee composition. Are different generations represented on your committees? Think about the ways in which you communicate. Are you communicating just in snail mail so that you're not using social media, which many millennials and generations Z are using? A lot of X as well. Are you using a newsletter? And so I would look at your communication vehicles and then think about segmented appeals, right? I'm not saying you have to have five different appeals, it's the same appeal, but it might have a different paragraph that appeals to each of the different generations. Now, again, I know anytime you personalize or segment anything in fundraising, it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money. But I think when you look at personalization and segmentation, that's the thing about different generations and giving is if you can personalize it a bit to the generation, you will see a stronger return. 
The other thing that I'll say was very interested this last week, there was an article in the Chronicle that said that millennials were planning to give $500 more than boomers this year in philanthropy. And what that tells me is we've been waiting for millennials to give to catch up to X and boomer. And I think what's starting to happen is they are starting to give more. They've been kind of coming along, but I think they're starting to give more. So specifically for millennials, what I would say um, in terms of what they're interested, they like experiences, they like live experiences. They like to be asked for their opinions. So focus groups to be asked for their opinions. And then uh, I think a big thing is they like transparency. And they also like the sustainability. So I think there's some things about millennials, specifically that younger generation, um, by being transparent, by being inclusive, they're very much looking at your board representation. Do you know they're they're the ones that care very much about those things. And if you're living the values, like Sarah said, that your organization subscribes to. So those are just a few things, but that report you can get in there and get lost and it's awesome and fun for data nerds like me. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that, that is an absolutely awesome answer, Rebecca. And the only couple of things I can add to that just from my own personal experience with our organization trying to um, branch out and attract that younger group. Um, in the conversations I have um, with people, especially in the millennial age group, they tend to think in movements rather than organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, so they care much more about an issue. And um, whereas maybe a, a an older donor is really interested in our particular structure, our particular uh, finances, um, younger donors, young adult donors are much more interested in like, I just would like to solve climate change or solve homelessness or, you know, and I don't, I don't, you know, I guess there are lots of organizations working on it. Why is yours the one I should be, you know, should be the vehicle to get me there. But they think in terms of the movement, which I think is really important for your messaging. Um, Two, they, Rebecca's point about live events, um, totally. And back in the day when we could do things more in person um, and when we get to do that again, volunteering is really, really a great way to show and not tell them about what your work is. Um, Lots of millennials are willing to sign up for one-time volunteer experiences. Um, You can fit them into their calendar and then they get a chance to really feel the organization. Um, And then the last thing, which I think Rebecca said too, she used the word transparency. I think of it as honesty. Um, I I have rarely had conversations um, with more pointed questions, um, (laughs) less about our finances, but pointed questions about, are you living your values? Is your organization really standing for what you say you stand for? Um, And you need to respond with absolute honesty. You know, so if your board isn't yet uh, reflective of the community you serve, you need to be honest about that because that age group, they're, uh, they're clear about what they're uh, thinking and they, they respect organizations that give the honest answer of, well, we're not yet, but we're working on it. Can you help me think of how to do that? Um, so I'd say think movement, be honest and try to get them to volunteer in some way. So we have a millennial with us here oh, and I'm going to ask Garrett to um, turn to unmute and turn on his camera. If, if you're willing to, you you chimed in the chat box, you know, right on. You're you're speaking my language, Garrett. What is your response on this whole millennial thing? Yeah, not to speak for all millennials who like avocado toast, um, <laughs> but I think that you all really captured it well. Um, three of the words that I wrote down 
were values. So values are really important. Um, time. I feel like we're really stressed for time early in our careers, trying to figure out life. So being able to be uh, mindful of that. And then lastly, this goes with values and relationships, but just trust. I feel like bringing us in and being um, able to build a relationship and have an organization or person that we can trust is really important. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Well, um, so there we have it right from a millennial's mouth that, um, and I think so often we get obsessed with, with generations and um, I really appreciate Garrett's point that, that those are things that we all care about as well, whatever your age is, right? We care about trust. We care about time. And so I really appreciate that, that piece. Hey, okay. Nancy, can I jump in really, really quick? One thing, again, I'm just kind of going back to some of the research I've done. And what's interesting is there's shared values across all five generations. And some of those shared values are they value family, integrity, honesty, and trustworthiness. They want respect, believe leaders must be trustworthy, like to receive feedback. They don't like change, funny, base loyalty on context, not age, and they want to learn and better ourselves. And so if you think about that as shared values of all five generations, you can definitely be focused on a generation, but there's, there is much shared as well. Yeah. So there's a request to put those in writing. So I'm going to let you do that. If you, if you're a fast typer, drop those into the chat box. You know, this is so important. Oh, there we go. Wow. You are fast, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, I just ask what we've learned to do in this last year, right? Was zoom and the chat and (laughs) we got this, we got this. Mixed bag. This is where I, I put in the chat box if you have any um, any fast round questions. We do have some questions we've received in advance that I do want to call forward. And the first one of that is, um, I'm going to direct this to Sarah because she's so good at this, but saying no to yourself and partners when personal and organizational capacity is overstretched. Yeah. How do you do this, like work-life balance? Like, how do you keep all those balls in the air? Mm. Well, I'm so flattered that you think I have that figured out. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, if I do, it's only from a lot of trial and error. And I suspect there are even better um, people at it on this call than I am. Um, but I think you just have to. Um, I think what, as a person who's worked in nonprofits for a long time, if you don't, you won't want to work in nonprofits for a long time. And you realize that after a certain point that there's this tipping point at which you you tip over and suddenly all that passion you had for that mission is buried in all the anxiety and stress and tiredness that you feel about things. And the key to all of us making our missions into the movements we need them to be is that we we keep that passion alive. And so finding ways, whether that's... Um, a coping mechanism like going for a walk or shoveling snow, or um, sometimes it's reading an inspiring uh, article or a blog, or or actually going to see your work in action um, that bring that back to you. I don't think there's a secret magic wand, but I think it's that you 
you set aside time. If I, if there's one thing I do do, I do actually put in my calendar, like I have an hour meeting (laughs) and it may actually be a meeting with me and the ground to go for a walk, (laughs) but it's how I then process everything and then come back. And if it's on my calendar, I'm a total rule follower. So like it's on my calendar, I got to go do it. Um, and I, and I do it. So that's my personal tip. We're all different. We all do that different ways, but, um, I, I, I do recommend that. Awesome. We're at the end of our time together, but we have just, we have one fast quick round question here. Uh, Amber wants to know, is it worth planning an in-person event this year? Plan it and have a backup. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. I, I like the plan and the backup. I also like the hybrid, Amber. I think that I'd like to see our organization embrace hybrid events moving forward where there's in-person and virtual because I think we saw that the increase in access and availability and don't and people coming to our events because they were virtual was a wonderful thing. And so I think if you can have something in person, but then also have a small virtual component, um, but I'm crossing my fingers that fall, September, October, November, Q4, I think my, my hope would be, would be in person. Awesome. And it doesn't surprise you all that we have an episode exactly on this topic. So if you don't subscribe to the nonprofit radio show, we uh, suggest that you do. All right. And we end every nonprofit radio show the same way um, because we believe it is always true. You have all the tools you need. Your work matters. You've got this. The Nonprofit Radio Show was created to provide small and rural nonprofits regular learning and connection. It's produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production provided by Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree.